This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, and our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, is 833, the number four, and Valdez, V-A-L-D-E-S, that's 833-482-5337, and you're always welcome to call on the legacy line. And the hearing from the, um, I guess, what's the name of this committee? It's the... The Committee on Governmental Abuse. I know I'm saying it wrong, but I'll figure it out. Um, they they had a hearing on the Twitter files today, and it erupted as Matt Taibbi, the journalist that revealed most of this stuff, uh, refused to reveal his sources in a heated exchange with the Democrats. Jim Jordan accused Democrats of pressuring the reporter to violate his own First Amendment rights. And uh, we have some audio from that. Let me just see which one. is a few different clips here uh, that that I think are pretty good. But here's Taibbi firing back uh, in the um, in the hearing on misinformation and censorship. Listen to this. Uh, again, Ranking Member Plaskett, I would note that the evidence of Twitter government relationship includes lists of tens of thousands of names on both the left and right. The people affected include Trump supporters, but also left-leaning sites like Consortium and Truthout, the leftist South American channel Telesur, the Yellow Vest movement, that in fact is a key point of the Twitter files, that it's neither a left nor right issue. Following the trail of communications between Twitter and the federal government across tens of thousands of emails led to a series of revelations. Mr. Chairman, we summarized and submitted them to the committee in the form of a new Twitter files thread, which was also released to the public this morning. We learned Twitter, Facebook, Google, and other companies developed a formal system for taking in moderation requests from every corner of government, from the FBI, the DHS, the HHS, DOD, the Global Engagement Center at State, even the CIA. For every government agency scanning Twitter, there were perhaps 20 quasi-private entities doing the same thing, including Stanford's Election Integrity Partnership, NewsGuard, the Global Disinformation Index, and many others, many taxpayer-funded. A focus of this fast-growing network, as Mike noted, is making lists of people whose opinions, beliefs, associations, or sympathies are deemed misinformation, disinformation, or malinformation. That last term is just a euphemism for true but inconvenient. Undeniably, the making of such lists is a form of digital McCarthyism. 
Digital McCarthyism. I, I loved what he said. I think it's great that we're having this dialogue in Congress. But it didn't stop there. There were several Democrats that were very, very upset here. Uh, some of them speaking very angrily. M- ranking member Stacey Plaskett, who he referenced, uh, she's from the Virgin Islands, a Democrat from the Virgin Islands. Um, she literally went in on him saying, hey, look, we need to know who is your source. And I mean, I think to me, it was pretty obvious to source is Elon Musk. At least that's what I deduced from this, because um, Elon was the one saying big news coming tomorrow. And then tomorrow, Taibi released a Twitter. <laughs> so, I mean, if it wasn't um, the CEO of the company who was announcing it on Twitter, um, you know, if it was somebody else, it's irrelevant because Elon Musk was out there, you know, beating the drum about this thing. So uh, I don't see the significance of it. Uh, but she went in on him. Listen to this. And then who gave you access to these emails? Um, Who is the individual that uh, gave you permission to access the emails? Well, the attribution for my story is sources at Twitter, and that's what I'm going to refer to. Okay. Uh, Did Mr. Musk contact you, Mr. Taibbi? Again, the attribution for my story is sources at Twitter. Mr. Schellenberger, did Mr. Musk contact you? Uh, Actually, no. I was brought in by my friend Barry Weiss, and so this story, there's been a lot of misinformation. So Mr. Weiss brought you in. Mr. Taibbi, Ms. Weiss, thank you. Mr. Taibbi, have you had conversations with Elon Musk? I have. Okay. Uh, Mr. Taibbi, did Mr. Musk place any conditions on the use of the email? Would the gentlelady yield for a second? Uh, as long as my time is not used. Are you, are you trying to get journalists? No, I'm not trying to get sources? No, I'm not. Well, I am asking, like no, well, if you will let me finish. Are you, and you had conversations with him. Not You said you weren't going to uh, agree to who your sources were. I'm not asking you your source. I'm asking you if you had conversations with the owner of Twitter. And did Mr. Musk place any conditions on your use of the emails or documents? No. The, in fact, I was told uh, explicitly that um, we were... Uh, given license to look at present-day Twitter as well as past Twitter. Aha. Well, there you go. So it's it's fascinating. This is what Congress is doing, right? So in their role as uh, conducting oversight, which is a constitutionally mandated job, a task they have to perform, I'm wondering if the people in the Virgin Islands are sitting here looking back saying, oh, thank you, Congresswoman Plaskett, because we really want to know the sources of of, of Mr. Taibbi's article. I think this is just such a pointless thing. It seems to me they want to be able to turn the um, the focus on on Musk, or they're thinking like I am. Well, Musk ultimately approved it, but who within the the ranks ratted on us? You know, maybe they want to go after a specific person, but it seemed like they were after retribution. At least from my opinion, maybe I'm just jaded. Who knows? Uh, he also referenced Mr. Um, Schellenberger, and Mr. Schellenberger. Uh, was at the hearing as well today uh, discussing censorship, saying it's not a slippery slope. It's an immediate leap into a terrifying mechanism that we only see in totalitarian societies. And I thought that was a pretty interesting clip. So let's listen to this one. So you've seen them. You've seen this censorship industry go from, well, we're just fighting ISIS to, well, we're just fighting Russian disinformation bots to, well, now we need to fight domestic misinformation, which is just saying we need to fight against people who are saying things we disagree with online. That's all that means. And I, I mean, it's not a slippery slope. It's an immediate leap into a, a terrifying mechanism that I, we only see in totalitarian societies of attempting to gain control over what the social media platforms are, allow, are allowing. And so, um, yeah, for me, it's just it starts at DHS, but we basically see um, almost every government agency involved in this. Listen, I think these guys are nailing it. They're 100% right. And this is nothing new. You've been hearing this. If you listen to my program, I know I've been saying that stuff on on the radio, on the podcast, uh, everywhere, on television, wherever they give me a chance to say it, I've been saying it. 
And it's great that it's coming out uh, on the record in Congress. And, you know, once it comes out on the record in Congress, if they're looking for a scoop, CNN, MSNBC, all the rest of them, they've got to cover it because it's kind of like in your face. And uh, I'm happy to see that this is coming out. Where it goes from here, I don't know. Oftentimes, it's been my experience that this is always about correcting the record. Right. And people don't like to hear that. They want jail time and they want orange jumpsuits. And I get that. But the reality is sometimes daylight is the best disinfectant. Anyway, we're going to continue our conversation um, on this and January 6th and a bunch of things. We've got a lot on the agenda today, especially crime and the immigration crisis as it's affecting different places in uh, the country, including New York City. And we're going to talk about artificial intelligence and a couple of more things. A quick aside, today is the 26th anniversary of New York City rapper Biggie Smalls. So R.I.P. Notorious B.I.G. I'm a huge fan. And um, straight ahead, we're going to connect with council member Vicky Palladino from New York to talk about the attack that recently occurred in College Point, New York and more. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez here. I just want to give you a couple of headlines. So the cartel is now saying sorry for kidnapping those four uh, Americans and killing two of them. Uh, I'll get to that a little bit later. Plus, there's a Russian submarine off of the United States coast. We're going to talk about that. And the FBI is admitted to buying individual user location data. So, yeah, they don't they need a warrant to get it off your phone. But if they buy it from Twitter or somewhere else, then they don't need a warrant. Isn't that something? The government can spy on you by just buying your location data. Turn your location data off. Anyway, I want to talk about um, New York City and uh, the immigration problem that's in New York City. I want to talk about the the uh, deep state and the way they treat members of the city council in New York City. And I also wanted to talk about a, a video that you likely saw a few days ago where a group of teens ransacked a College Point restaurant uh, in about a minute. This attack, they just a group of them went in there causing looks like $20,000 worth of damage and then immediately left after ransacking the place and causing total havoc. And I wanted to, um, that I know has her finger on the pulse. She's a friend of the program. You've heard her here before. Councilwoman Vicky Palladino. Welcome. Hey, Rich. How are you? I am dandy. Thank you for joining me. Good, Thanks for staying up. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this was, this was a little difficult, but I set my alarm I actually haven't stopped moving, which is the best way to go. So here yeah. I am. Don't and worry, you're not the only going. one. That's my typical greeting to everybody because I know that you know doing live late night radio is is always a challenge, but it is it is fun. So let's talk about this. Uh, I know that you know you're close to um, uh, College Point. You're in Queens. Uh, tell us what happened here with this um, with this group of teens ransacking this place. Well, this was in my district. You know, I'm the city mm-hmm. council member of District 19, which is Northeast Queens, which covers College Point, along with other areas straight through to the Nassau County border, Little Neck Douglaston. And what happened was uh, College Point 
has a restaurant inside of a hotel located on the third floor. It's called the Fish Palace. And you have to take an elevator naturally up to the third floor. I visited the owner. It happened Saturday evening, uh, I guess about 8 o'clock, which makes the restaurant packed. And um, these group of people got off the elevator and just a few feet away, big glass, very thick doors into the uh, restaurant, you know. And then just for no reason, no apparent reason, uh, ransacked the place. Uh, it's still under investigation. We found out about it, um, I guess, the next day when I spoke with the 109. And uh, their finger was on the pulse of it. And there's the undercurrent investigation. There's nothing to report other than uh, this going on far too regularly now. And people are used to having things like this happen in Manhattan, uh, not in the suburbs. And we are part of the suburbs of Queens. So this has become deadly. Uh, ransacking like this is not a regular occurrence. But crime of this nature, as far as more than one or two people, are becoming a bit more common. So it's something to um, be a little frightened about. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I mean, every day, everybody across America that's looking at different programming, whether it's on on the television or on the radio, they're hearing the stories about, you know, how people are just going nuts in New York City because of bail reform. And bail reform was kind of, you know, tested in New York City and in New York State. And now it's spread to Chicago and Illinois and other states across the country. And it, it, it's producing the same exact result, which is bedlam, chaos and well, this type no of reaction. thing. You know, there's no reaction for any actions. So people can do basically whatever they like because they know they're in and out inside of four hours. You know, the judicial system and our justice system here in the state of New York uh, being totally blue, one-sided, no balance, no checks, no balances. And, uh, you know, started upstate New York with bail reform. And then it's trickling down here where with our DAs not taking the necessary action and our judges not doing what they need to do, uh, all in all, they can get away with everything. And they are. You know, we see it time and again uh, that we have convicted felons that are turned around and released. You know, how many times do you hear about uh, murders or people getting pushed on subways and stuff like that? And they've had prior felonies and they're out. Some as many as 20, 25. So there's no, there's no rhyme and there's absolutely zero reason. I don't understand it. I just don't. Yeah, understood. And I agree. So now tell us about the, the response you get when uh, I know that you bring this up when you're in session to try to fight crime. And I know in your district, you're very active with the NYPD and with shop owners and with oh, the yeah. community. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that doesn't seem to be the approach that's uh, taken by the administration, by Mayor Adams uh, or even by the speaker. Uh, how are you getting along with your colleagues on the city council when it seems like some of you are fighting for law and order and others of you aren't? You know, the, the scary part of the city council right now is that there are a lot of uh, people that feel as we do. When I say we, I mean my fellow Republicans, and we have what's called a common sense caucus, which includes a couple of Democrats. Though we are a minority, 
we are a loud minority. And I'm also a loud minority. Look at that. We are a loud minority. We don't, we're very strong. We do not allow them to get away with as much as they think they're getting away with. There's always a rebuttal. You can't. You got to push back. You must push back. And that's why I ran. You know, I don't take a knee to anybody or anything. And I'm happy to say that uh, my fellow colleague, Joanne Ariola, also another elected official. It's only two elected officials in uh, Queens, and they happen to be strong Republican women. So I must say that, uh, you know, we have Borelli, we have Carr, uh, we have Vernikoff, uh, and we have Kalman Yeager, who's in Brooklyn, who's a Democrat. We have Bob Holden, who's a Democrat. Uh, I, I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but, uh, you know, some of us take a stronger stand on certain issues and they know when we discuss, um, principles and, um, what it takes to run a city safely, we're very outspoken for our police, extremely outspoken. This has got to stop. Our speaker has caved, uh, to the woke left. And like I said, I'm, I'm very sad for those on the Democratic side who feel cowardly, uh, not enough to stand up for fear that they won't be reelected. So I think everybody really needs to reexamine the districts that they come from, take the pulse of their constituents. And I think they'll be very surprised because Ari Kagan was a Democrat from Brooklyn. He switched parties to Republican. He is now a Republican. And so that makes five of us or six now. I can't, I lose track. We're either between six and eight or five and seven. Uh, it just happened. So excuse me. But uh, Ari took the pulse of his, of his district and he's far more Republican, but he has been shunned by his Democratic friends that he once had in council. You know, they're treating him like an outlaw when he's not. He's just standing up for what he believes in. And that's just the politics of it. Lamentably, there's more than politics. There's, you know, uh, just like there's a deep state in Washington, there's a deep state in every state capital. There's a deep state in every city government. And uh, New York City is is no different. And I know that the deep state is at work trying to stop you on a couple of things. So we're going to discuss how the deep state is trying to push you off of or has pushed you off of a committee uh, that I, I think is important and that does important work. And it's all because of your honest stance on protecting children from the indoctrination of the hard left. So we're going to discuss that straight ahead. Folks, let me remind you that we're on with Councilwoman Vicki Palladino. You could find out more about her at VickiForNYC.com. Vicki, that's Vicki with an I-E, VickiForNYC.com. Uh, she's a member of the New York City Council. And again, straight ahead, uh, more discussion on what's going on with the deep state and how they're going after people from being effective. Don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Your calls are welcome. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-THE-NUMBER-4-MY-LAST-NAME-V-A-L-D-E-S. Don't move a muscle. We're coming right back. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about 
how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything wherever you listen. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez. Our telephone number is 833-4-VALDEZ, and that's Valdez with an S if you want to join the conversation. Our guest is Vicky Palladino, a member of the New York City Council, uh, com is her website if you want to learn more about her. Now, Councilwoman Palladino, uh, I'm looking at um, at some um, headlines here. Earlier in the week, Tennessee became, uh, I forget which number state, uh, that now bans drag performances uh, that include minors. And this is a problem that I think a lot of people are concerned about. Just yesterday, I read some statistics, and I wish I would have had it open, but I think it was 72% of of the individuals polled, and it was about 1,000 people that were polled by McLaughlin and Associates that said that they were concerned uh, that too many young children are being exposed to drag queens and alternative lifestyles and uh, hypersexualization, et cetera, at an early age. And interestingly, this is, you know, this is a developing thing, right? There's more and more people that are against this. However, um, it seems that your comments, uh, what was that, nine months ago or several months ago, um, got you into some heat then. And now the city council has voted to have you removed from a particular committee, the Committee on Mental Health, Disabilities and Addiction, because they said that your comments on children and child grooming were somehow inappropriate. Councilwoman. Isn't that just too bad? Okay. Well, here's how it goes. Uh, Our kids are in bad shape. Face it. Everybody Mm. knows it. Here in New York, uh, our kids were shut down for two years, possibly closer to three. And my concern Next to crime is my kids. I call them my kids. I am extremely active in my district with every one of my schools. My district consists mostly of elementary and middle schools. So that's from five years old to 12 years old. I have one high school, Bayside High School. I am extremely attached to my schools. I was born and raised here. Some of the schools I attended and my kids attended or in my district, okay? I heavily fund my schools. They are a top priority. They are our future. They have fallen so far behind in the basic ABCs and one, two, threes. It's pathetic. They are socially inept. They cannot cope with others around them. What is going on in our schools right now with mental health, we are in crisis mode. We've got five and eight and 10-year-olds 12-year-olds who don't know how to interact with each other. They depend solely upon their devices, their phones, their iPads. Now, when they go to school, 
They've been learning remotely. They are so far behind by an average of two years. And this is scary stuff. So when you talk about drag queens, and when you talk about adult entertainers coming into our schools to read stories, I say, hell no, they don't belong in our schools. I believe that our kids need to learn more about history. Kids need to be kids. Today's, this week is Civics Week here in New York throughout mm-hmm. our school system. And I visited at least three a day this past week, and I have more to do tomorrow. The light in these kids' eyes are amazing. They are bright. They are full of life again, or they're trying desperately to come back. I'm hearing a lot of stories. And for me, I want to give those kids the future that they deserve, the innocence that they deserve. And you cannot bring, has anybody ever seen the entertainment that a drag queen does inside of a library or a school, you would be appalled. But they would like you to think differently. They would like you to see it differently. The city council I exist in right now loves to talk about gender. Ask a five-year-old if they know anything about gender or a 10-year-old. It's up to the parents to teach their children, not the government. But when you're involved with a woke majority, a majority, I will say a woke majority, who feels that this should take precedence over basic learning, I say there's something wrong with it. I'm introducing my own story time in District 19, and I'm going to be introducing teachers and nurses and doctors and police officers and firemen to read stories. There's nothing like the innocence of children. Why are we taking it away? Why are we complicating them more than it is complicated already? And they're going to learn soon enough. But let kids be kids. And there's something wrong with that. This was politically motivated. No question about it. Back in June when, my, when I made, a, it was the, the lightest of tweets. And the bombardment that I've got. I gotten on that tweet was amazing. All pro, pro what I said. And the few negatives that were on there just started to mount up because the people who decided to tweet out negative comments on my Twitter pertaining to drag queens were, you know, there was confrontation. And there you go. So I don't know where the speaker is pulling it out. You know, this happened, Rich, without even consulting. My committee chairwoman, who is Linda Lee. So Linda knew nothing about this. So when they talk about they took a vote to remove me from this mental health committee, which I valued tremendously, um, I want to know who voted. I want to know who voted, because if the committee chairwoman did not vote, knew nothing about this last Thursday, 
And again, voted. their statement, I just want to chime into the audience knows what's going on. Um, Speaker um, Adrienne Adams from Jamaica, Queens, mm-hmm. uh, the, the, her representative said that the council voted on council member Palladino's removal from this committee because of a lack of confidence in her commitment to inclusivity, her being you, uh, that equality, uh, that equitably reflects the needs of all New Yorkers on an essential issue of public health and safety. Now, I, I've seen your work on on public safety. Uh, you're talking about the work that you're doing with public health, with respect to schools in your district. And my concern here is that all these children that you just spoke so marvelously about, um, will they now weaponize this committee and the work and resources attached to this committee against the children in your district because they don't like the stance that you've taken? No, I think that the, the process is already in action. Okay. Um, I represent Two school districts, District 25 is the majority of my District 19. I dip into District 26. Uh, these are common sense people. The principals are fantastic. Uh, the administration, the teachers, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful people. Uh, I don't believe they will do, you know, they will do what's right by the kids. There is a certain curriculum that is being pushed out in our public schools. But I will tell you, uh, I had a meeting with Chancellor Beggs, and what we talked about in that meeting was nothing to do with gender. It was everything to do with public safety for the kids, you know, for them to be safe while they're in school. Uh, It was readiness in case of anything going wrong in a school, as well as bringing back ABCs in one, two, three. It was a very productive conversation. So, you know, you have this city council that is out of whack, I think, with the um, with part of the administration, uh, the mayor's administration. I get along great with Def- Deputy Banks, Phil Banks, with public safety. You know, uh, I work very closely with my 109 and my 111th precincts. And while these woke leftists uh, want to put drag queens in our classrooms, I put 50 new police officers in the 109th precinct. Outstanding. Council member, hang on one second right there. I want to talk about the police officers and how citywide, not just in your district, how immigration is plaguing the city. But we got to take a quick pause right here. So stick with us. There's more to come. We're on with Vicki Palladino from the New York City Council. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We are on with Councilwoman Vicki Palladino from New York City, and she was telling us about how she's added police to the to the district that she represents. But overall, New York City has a huge problem with hotels and housing illegal immigrants that are being bussed in by Governor Abbott, and people are finding their way there. Uh, Councilwoman Vicki Palladino, what is going on with immigration in New York City? Well, Sadly, <laughs> we've got more than we can handle. Uh, you know, this is enough, uh, truly enough. And the mayor knows it. Uh, I kind of feel badly uh, for him because he, too, is in a precarious situation. 
You know, you got a governor up there, Hochul, upstate New York, who isn't helping us out much. Uh, it's costing the city close to a billion dollars come spring now. We're in March. A prediction Let me ask is you by a, April, May. a question. I know that New York City, under the previous administration of Mayor de Blasio, had declared New York City as a sanctuary city. Uh, I'm presuming that Mayor Adams could declare, you know, the the white flag and say we are revoking this uh, and propose legislation through, you know, his colleagues and allies on the council to to get legislation that says, hey, we're no longer a a sanctuary city. City council, Rich, ever. Why, Why not? Because the city council won't, they will not do it. But uh, even for the sake of political expediency, maybe he could just ask for it and say, hey, look, we've got to stop this status. Well, that's so really, he- in my opinion, Rich, you're right. Uh, and I think in a, in a very short while, he may have to do that because the taxpayers can't afford it. Uh, everything's becoming unaffordable housing. They keep talking about affordable housing, affordable housing building and more building and more building. We've got empty buildings here. People need to go back to work. We need to get our economy back on track. And yet we have this coming in where we're giving everything away for free as if it's their given right. Well, sure, we have big hearts. New Yorkers all have big hearts, but that's enough now. You know, I said once, you said, yes, please. It's time now to say no, thank you. We have enough. And when you're dealing with the environment that we're in right now politically in this in this uh, city, if you dare say what I'm saying right now, you will be deemed as full of hate. I don't hate anybody. I don't think any of us hate anybody. That word is not a word I use ever. But they will conjure that up and they will present a narrative that just simply isn't true. So I don't understand the reasoning behind this constant influx that we have of uh, the migrant situation. Call it what you like, okay? It just has got to stop. Enough is enough. Our police can't handle it. The taxpayers can't handle it. We have crime through the roof still, even though they'll tell you statistics are coming down. You know, we have a shortage of police. This is, we need, we need a whole lot of stuff here. And, uh, you know, when you see not many young men and women going out to become police officers again, well, that's a scary, that's a scary thing. When you lose 4,000 police officers over the last several years and you're replenishing them with a graduated class that used to consist of 2,600 to 3,000 in Madison Square Garden, and now you're graduating classes of 600. That's sad. So we're off balance here. We need balance. We need construction. That's why in the city council, let me reiterate, in the city council, we need balance. We don't have balance. If you have a difference of opinion pertaining to any of the subjects that we've discussed here tonight, big thing on the left is abolish the police, abolish whatever they don't think is fair or whatever. Right, abolish you if you disagree. Oh, well, yes, exactly. Abolish me if you disagree. But they won't be abolishing Vicky Palladino. Vicky Palladino's <laughs> up for re-election this November. And uh, I 
my supporters here in my district and throughout the city. I go to different places. And then yeah. they stop me and they say, are you Vicky Palladino? And I say, yes, I am. How do you die? Oh, thank you so much for standing up for me. Hey, look, I'm an elected official. I'm not a politician. I'm elected by the people to serve the people. That's my job. And that's what I plan to do. And I plan to do it for the, you know, this is a two-year term because I won on ten, on the 10th year. And every 10 years, it's a two-year term because we do something here in New York called redistricting, where they redraw the lines. Yeah. So fortunately, my district pretty much stayed intact. And it's a two-year term. So I will be running this November. If anybody goes on Facebook, please go to Vicky Palladino for NYC. That's Vicky with an I-E. Paladino, P-A-L-A-D-I-N-O. And yes, I'm sorry, Rich, I'm pushing it, but I am. No, it's fine. I'm take the opportunity to do that. I hope you don't mind. No, and, that's what uh, we were going to do at this point anyway. I want to make sure people know it's VickiForNYC.com, the website. Make sure you follow her on all of the social media. And it's Vicky, V-I-C-K-I-E, for NYC. That's the word for, F-O-R, VickiForNYC.com. Make sure you support her if you're interested in helping her out and you're interested in keeping New Yorkers in New York. Because if she makes New York better, there's less New Yorkers leaving New York. Matter of fact, I think after hearing this and people all across the country, there might be some people that are inspired to move to New York because of all the opportunity that's going to be available as you move that forward. I think That's you can't right. keep a, always, a good man down. You can't keep a good no, city you down. Can't. Always look on the bright side of things. Always look at it as there's always hope. There's always light at the end of that tunnel. I tell the kids that all the time. Please always stay on the, on the sunny side of the street. Councilwoman Vicki Palladino, I want to thank you for being with us. We're out of time for now. They're going to kick me out of here. But uh, I want to okay, thank you for good. being here. Godspeed to you and thanks for Take staying care. up. All right. Thanks a lot, Rich. Have a great night. Thanks, you bet. Everybody. See you soon. God bless. Okay. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. Your calls and more. 833-4-VALDES, 833-4-VALDES. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Now, Joe Biden was in Philly today discussing the budget, and we're going to get to that a little bit later. But I would like to bring uh, into the spotlight here the FBI director, Christopher Wray, who was at a hearing today on global threats. And he basically says that he can't uh, speak to when exactly they had the laptop, but this information is already publicly available. Listen to this. Do you believe the Hunter Biden laptop story is disinformation? Well, I want to be careful about it. there is an ongoing investigation that is relevant to that. Uh, so I have to be careful of what I can share on that here. Do you believe the Hunter Biden laptop story is disinformation? I don't think there's anything I can share on that in open setting. Were you aware that the FBI personnel were in contact with Twitter regarding the Hunter Biden laptop story? I don't believe FBI personnel were in contact with, with Twitter about the Hunter laptop story specifically. I think there were people in contact with Twitter about Russian disinformation efforts. Of which the Hunter Biden laptop story was included according to the FBI. 
Well, I think I don't know exactly what you're looking at, but but I could happy to talk about what it is the FBI does. I don't know. Do I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Right. It seems like he doesn't know anything ever and he can never answer anything. And interestingly, good old um, Christopher Ray, he, um, he he this is his thing every time. Right. Uh, he's a, a, a bureaucrat of bureaucrats. Always. I don't know. We can't say couldn't speak to that public setting, blah, 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 blah. But. Uh, today, looking at a piece in uh, ARS Technica, FBI finally admits to buying location data on Americans. This is horrifying the experts. We'll talk about that a little bit more later. We're also going to get into a conversation on artificial intelligence, how generative AI is shaping online matchmaking and everything else that's out there like chat GPT. Don't go anywhere. We're going to continue that conversation right now. Your phone calls are welcome. 833-4-VALDEZ. 833-4-VALDEZ. I'm Rich Valdez. We'll be right back. Live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late-night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, by the way, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And there's a few things in the news. There's a headline I want to read to you here. Uh, United States regulators have rejected Elon Musk's bid to test brain chips in humans, citing safety risk. (laughs) Who would have thought? Uh, Musk has said his brain implant company Neuralink will make the paralyzed walk the blind see and eventually turn people into cyborgs, but the firm still struggles to secure clinical trial approval for the relatively modest goal of helping disabled people to type. And uh, we can get into that a little bit more in depth in the midnight hour, but I just wanted to bring you that headline because I think it's interesting. And and there's so many developments going on, not only with science and technology, uh, but with the artificial intelligence. And uh, there's a number of stories on artificial intelligence, like the, um, the powerful AI that they use at Meta, formerly known as Facebook. And uh, it apparently has been leaked online. So uh, we'll get into that as well. But I wanted to get to the bottom of AI. And obviously, I don't know much about AI because I deal with real I, right? (laughs) And with you all, with the the listeners on this program. Uh, But it is a fascinating, uh, interesting place to have a discussion. And we're going to have one with Alexa Eden. She's a human technologist and the head of marketing at Algo AI Tech. Alexa Eden, welcome to the program. Hey, Rich. Thanks so much for having me tonight. My pleasure. So I want to start off with what is a human technologist? Great question. I love the way that you introduced artificial intelligence in that you work with the human and so do I. I work with humans to ensure that any technology that's built within our company is human-centered and human-first. So I'm not programming, I'm not developing, but I'm really thinking about how are we going to design and develop our platforms and our solutions to work for 
humanity in the best way possible. Cool. So uh, what is uh, your data? I guess if somebody wanted to become a human technologist, what would they do? I think it's a good question. More importantly is why do we need human technologists? Over the last 30 plus years, we've seen technology integrate into our lives in ways that many of us could never imagine. And even now with the conversation of artificial intelligence, we are so, there's so much more importance in making sure that we stay focused on putting humans first. So what we're focusing on is how do we create solutions that actually evolve humanity towards the future and not get out of control? All right, so let's put that into some context because I think it makes sense. Um, how, how do you guys at uh, Algo AI Tech, how do, you, um, how do you keep the human in the AI? It's beautiful. Our main focus right now is matchmaking and putting people together both in the employment space and also in the dating and relationship space. So what we're seeing right now is way too many options for people to meet online, but not enough quality. So what we're using is over 1,500 research studies and training our AI to essentially assess what makes a good match between people and employment. So we're using the power of AI and algorithms to make those matches with ease and simplicity. How do you do that? By using our research, we train our uh, algorithm and to be honest, it's that human element that so many of us are seeking, but there often is too much information out there for us to really find what we're looking for. All right. That went over my head. So let me <laughs> figure out say, another way. For the millions of people I that are listening say, right now, how are you using AI to make their lives better by connecting people? I'm glad you rephrased the question. AI is a powerful tool, just like all technology in our lives. I think most of us turned the corner on being questioning technology when COVID hit. Once COVID hit, we realized how important technology was in our lives. And anyone who was on the fence took that step over and said, wait a second, technology is incredible for us. It's just a matter of how we use it. So now we're seeing generative AI, which is such a huge buzzword in the news right now. And it's it's opening up a huge floodgate to what AI could be in the world. And just like all technology, it's important for us to keep our hand on it and say, okay, so how do we want this to work for us? So at Algo AI, we're developing new solutions and platforms that help utilize the power of AI, which essentially eliminates some of the hard work we have to do on our day to day. It eliminates the hard work and it allows us to be our most human selves. Does that make more sense? A little bit. How does artificial intelligence make us be our most human self? And again, I'm looking at it from like my perspective, for example. I don't use a lot of this, but I know like, you know, sometimes we'll have listeners that'll contact me and there's a feature on Facebook where it says, you know, do you want to have a pre-programmed response if somebody wants to ask you a question? So, for example, a few years ago, I had a run in with AOC, the congresswoman, and, and it was widely rumored that I was going to run against her for her congressional seat. So I get this 
dozens of times a day. People are like, hey, are you running against AOC? So I set up the AI predictive text thing to if, if it says AOC, Congress running campaign, whatever buzzwords I put in there, it responds, hey, thanks for the inquiry. No, I'm not running against her, but listen to my radio show at night. And and, and that's the extent of my uh, interaction with AI in, in the world. But it's not the most human aspect of things. The most human aspect would be me kind of responding to each person. But, of course, that's time-consuming, so I use the, the AI function. So uh, I'm guessing, you know, you eliminate the margin of error oftentimes, right? I'm not going to have spelling errors if, <laughs> if I type it once and it does it dozens of times. And, and, and that's how I'm kind of correlating it to what you're telling me. And it makes sense to me that if you're using AI to, to match people, you're probably going to have less margin of error in, you know, whatever criteria you're picking, whether it's age or location, geolocation, that type of thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm wondering how, how does that become the most human thing? To me, that seems like the most technological thing. Or am I looking at it wrong? Uh, I wouldn't say wrong, but I'll add something to it. Sure. Most of us are spending way too much of our mental bandwidth and our mental capacity filtering through data all day long. So mm -hmm. with all of our notifications and the emails we get, text and call and news sites and tweets, it's a bombardment to our system. So imagine you have a 15-minute article that you want to read. AI could essentially read that article for you and make sure that all of those points that you want to understand are delivered to you easily. So in the, in, on our platform, what we're doing is instead of someone sitting for an hour, two hours a day, swiping through profiles, looking for their best match, we're allowing the AI to actually get to know the user in a deep way as a human, and then do that to every other user on the platform. So instead of having to spend an hour to two hours a day swiping through profiles, that AI is actually doing the same thing for me. So it will, it will provide the most compatible matches to me and to every other user in the most unique way. Got it. Okay. So I, I see the approach that you're taking. Now, is this technology that you're working on currently available? Is it something that's uh, forward... Uh, is it? It will be released to just in a few months. Yep. All right, and if people want to learn more about this technology and how they could take advantage of it, uh, how do they uh, get in touch with you and follow the work that you're doing? So you can find me online at Alexa Eden, or you can go to our website, algoaitech.com, and you'll find more information there on the website. Outstanding. Well, uh, I appreciate it. I didn't know a lot of this stuff, and uh, it's 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 a like you said, there's articles galore, and the uh, generative AI is the big buzzword nowadays. I appreciate you explaining a little bit of it <laughs> to us. And yeah, it's a, it's a, a challenge. It's a challenging yeah. concept, and the generative AI. What I think is because it's opening up such a big conversation about AI is, I think it's going to allow us to see it more practically in our lives. And what's practical about AI in the dating space specifically is that it creates more space to, for people to be themselves. So instead of putting up a fake face, they can get to know themselves in a deeper way. And our AI is really here to do that, which is going to make a huge difference. And our main goal is to make sure that we create the most safe, practical solutions for people to find real connections in the world. And that's what I'm most excited about and why I decided to come on board. 
Well, thank you, Alexa Eden. I'm looking forward to um, seeing this thing launch and seeing how uh, it's received and um, having uh, future conversations with you. Thanks for being with us. Absolutely, Rich. Thanks, thanks so much. You bet. All right, folks, more to come. We're going to continue our discussion on AI and your your thoughts on it. I know there's a lot of people that are uh, ambivalent. They're nervous. They're scared. They hate it. I'd love to know what your thoughts are on the topic. 833, the number four, Valdez. 833-4-Valdez. 833-482-5337. We're discussing artificial intelligence, and I'll be right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, your calls are right now, 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Let's go to Ivan in Portland, Maine, W-L-O-B. Ivan, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. My question is not about AI. I, I see that there's plenty of value to it, but my concern, um, what she mentioned, that lady is Algo AI is her company, but the question and the problem that I have is accountability for those writing the algorithms that are doing these searches, because we've run into this recently where left, left-leaning companies are filtering out conservative news and only presenting mm-hmm. the left-wing news. And there's got to be some sort of accountability for whoever's writing the algorithms, I believe. Yeah. And, you know, I, I look at it and it's an interesting perspective. I, I look at all of these things, uh, all technology as like I look at guns. You know, I think, you know, you could have a gun and go rob somebody and shoot somebody and be an idiot. Or you could have a gun and 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 train with it and, and use it for sport and, and always be lawful and never have an issue with it. And I think these things are, are similar. Now, I'm not a big technology guy and I know there's a lot of people against AI and I'm not necessarily promoting it. I brought her on the program to, to learn a little more about it and I think it's an interesting thing. Um, you know, I think me personally in that context, I don't know that if you're trying to find a date or a potential significant other, I don't know that getting to know the AI deeply is better than getting to know the potential date deeply, right? So uh, I don't know if that's the most human experience or not, and maybe I didn't understand uh, what, what what I was being told very well. But it, it's that seems to be the... Um, the crux of it for me. So, but I agree with you. People will use AI for the wrong things. And there are people who are going to use AI to make their life a little bit easier. And uh, one thing is for sure, whether it's the people writing the AI or the companies themselves, somebody should be holding somebody accountable, or at least uh, accountable to a standard that doesn't discriminate on the basis of politics or ideology. Uh, You know, that's, the core is whatever that algorithm is. You know, the, the software that runs the algorithm is one thing, and that's that's pretty much a generic kind of thing. Um, but it's it's whatever that core algorithm is that is you know shows the bias of whoever is writing it, and that that definitely needs to be uh, monitored by by somebody who knows 
the coding on these algorithms because that's that's where the problem lies for me. You know, yeah, I've been we need with we need a police for I, Big Brother. Right, I've been working with computers since 1979, so technology is is not new to me. You know, I had a Timex 1000 created with 2K of memory back in 1979, and you know, I've worked with military computers and 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 these other types of things, gun weapon systems. And, so technology isn't a problem for me. I don't know all the buzzwords, unfortunately. So some of some of it goes over my head, but I get a pretty good idea of what's going on with, you know, given a little bit of explanation. But again, the algorithm is the problem. Whoever writes it, we've got to know their bias, and they they can't be allowed to write that bias into their algorithms. I, I agree. You know, whether you have a bias or not, look, if whoever's hiring me, I have plenty of biases and I wear them on my sleeve, biases, excuse me. But um, one thing is for sure, if, if, you know, if I'm supposed to do something where my bias is not allowed, then I'm not going to use it. Um, luckily right. for me, I get to use it all day at work. But my, but you're right. You know, you, you shouldn't, you know, um, you shouldn't pretend to be on the level if you're not really on the level. If you're going to be a conservative site, then say, hey, we're a conservative site. And then everybody knows what they're going to get there. If you're going to be a left-leaning site, you could say that. But uh, I agree with you. Don't say you're Google and trick people into thinking that you're going to get, you know, fair results when they're really going to filter out whatever and, you know, kind of slander and badmouth anything that, that even appears to be conservative. Because then, you know, this is where therein the problem lies. Uh, thank you, Ivan, for your call. I appreciate it. It's uh, great to hear from you on WLOB. Big shout out to everybody in Maine. Now, listen to this headline. Meta's powerful artificial intelligence language uh, model has leaked online. Here's what happens next. The language model known as LLAMA, and I don't believe that's LAMA. I believe it's LLAMA. And uh, you can tell my uh, naivete when it comes to these things, um, was created to help researchers but leaked on 4chan just about a week after it was announced. Some are worried that the technology will be used for harm. Others say that greater access will improve artificial intelligence safety. So two weeks ago, Meta announced its latest AI language, which they call, uh, I'm going to call it Llama, L-L-A-M-A. And though it's not accessible to the public like OpenAI's ChatGPT, which we've talked about before, Microsoft's Bing search engine is using Llama. Um, actually, they're using ChatGPT. Llama is Meta's contribution to the surge in AI language. And Meta did not release Llama as a public chatbot through Facebook or any of those other things, but as an open source package that anyone in the AI community can request access to. The intention, said the company, is to, quote, further democratize access to AI to spur research in to whatever problems they find. So Meta now benefits if these systems are less buggy, so you can happily spend money to create the model and distribute it so others will troubleshoot it, and that's their plan. And I think um, what we just discussed was very important. It, it all depends on who's got the power, right? Who's got this technology in their hands? What ends up happening? What algorithm goes around this? And how are you going to use it? And uh, these are all the questions that I think are not being answered because either A, people don't want us to know, or B, some people may not know the answers to. But I think those are important questions to ask to make sure that we're not 
walking right into a trap like we are with just about everything else. And I mean, it's it gets more evident every day where you have Newsmax getting kicked off of cable TV because they don't like what they say. You've got Rumble being kicked off of the Apple App Store because they didn't like what they had to say. And uh, now uh, you've got AI filtering out conservative content on search engines like Bing. So definitely something to be concerned about. Anyway, we're going to continue the conversation straight ahead. Cynthia Hughes is our guest, founder of the Patriot Freedom Project, and we're discussing January 6th. Don't go anywhere. Give us a call, 833-4-VALDEZ. We're coming right back. And so what I wanted to produce for everybody is exactly what I said, that people could actually look at it and see what's gone on that day. So. But why, for, but why for Mr. Speaker? Each person can come up with their own conclusion, but I, what I just want to make sure is I had transparency. Do you believe because I know in CNN, I mean, I had here where you guys actually broke where we were. This was a secret location, Fort McLaren. I don't know if you got concerned by that. I don't even know from a point of view of security if we could ever be taken there again. But when you broke that at CNN, that was a real concern to a lot of people. I had a real concern also when I wanted to make sure transparency. All right, that's Speaker Kevin McCarthy discussing transparency, pushing back on the media, discussing the January 6th videos that are released to the Fox News channel. And something that we don't hear enough of lately is how so many people were denied their due process. And uh, to get to the bottom of that, I want to speak with the founder of the Patriot Freedom Project, Cynthia Hughes. Cynthia Hughes, welcome to the program. Well, hello, and thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure. So let's discuss this. There's been uh, a lot of um, reaction to the videos that are out there. And uh, there's been, um, you know, lawyers for several of the defendants have, you know, now said, hey, look, we didn't have this video that seems to be exculpatory. And um, we, you know, we uh, we want to, you know, redo this. And people are requesting continuances and whatnot and current trials. Uh, What can you tell us? uh, What's your initial reaction to all of this? Well, what's really very concerning is that a lot of people, a lot of these, you know, defendants who have been forced into very horrific plea deals, you cannot appeal once you have entered into a plea deal. Um, I don't know if the release of all of this video footage um, that could show a lot of new evidence in some of these cases can undo this plea deal. And so it'll be interesting to see what a lot of the lawyers uh, are going to do um, as you know, or maybe you don't know, but tonight, just a little bit ago, um, the speaker did announce that now all of the video footage is going to be made available to the public. 
So it's going to be very, very interesting. I'm sure we're going to start to see a lot of, you know, uh, researchers with good skill sets and maybe private investigators really start combing through this video footage to help a lot of people. Um, on Monday night, the first night of Tucker's, uh, you know, week long, you know, airing of uh, what's mm -hmm. been hidden from the public. He, he did show a video footage of Officer Sicknick walking around inside the Capitol um, after he allegedly had been sprayed and assaulted and hit in the head with a fire extinguisher. Right, all um, of which uh, we understand now never happened. Exactly, exactly. And so I can tell you the two men that were accused of assaulting him, um, fortunately for George Tanios, um, all the felonies, uh, were dropped against him, and he pleaded uh, to one misdemeanor, and he did no more jail time. He did his eight or nine months that he spent in pretrial, and he was fortunate enough to not have to go back. Julian Cater, not so lucky. Uh, he just was sentenced um, six weeks ago, and he got 80 months in prison. So, um, you know, I put um, attorney Joseph McBride in touch with uh, the Cater family, and we're going to see what that might look like now that we're seeing some evidence come out that might have been helpful to Julian's lawyers before he entered into this egregious, you know, plea deal. Folks, we're on with Cynthia Hughes. She's the founder of Patriot Freedom Project. Their website is dueprocessdenied.org. And uh, it's great that there's someone like you that has their finger on the pulse of what's going on. But this denial of due process has really turned American citizens that were either exercising their First Amendment. Um, I mean, clearly there were, you know, 800 or 1,000 people that were arrested. There weren't 800 or 1,000 people, in my opinion, uh, breaking the law. You know, I mean, the, just look at the videos and you see the same the same faces are the ones that are like, you know, banging the barricade or running around with the lectern under their arm. It's not 1,000 people that were ransacking the Capitol, at least from my view, you know, uh, maybe a couple of hundred at, at any given time. Uh, how did how did the government pull this thing off? Hmm. That's the million dollar question. This was definitely an inside job. And, you know, there's a lot of people that were, you know, in, in the D.C. jail, like my nephew, for example, who got to view a lot of his discovery that was under protective order, meaning nobody was going to be able to see it except the attorney, the prosecution and the defendant. Um, and there was a lot of things that he you know, saw in his discovery that was, you know, not made available through his trial. Um, there's a lot in, um, you know, in the discovery that these men are seeing that the public has not seen yet that tell a very different story, uh, unlike what the January 6th clown show wanted to tell us. Um, and I think it's going to be very interesting over the course of the next, you know, I'm going to say year and a half during the presidential campaign season, um, how this is going to play out and how all of this is going to get exposed. And, and again, I just want to, you know, circle back a little bit here because I think what you're saying is really interesting with the videos being out and people having access to them. Uh, but many plea deals already being done. It really may be nothing, right? Ultimately nothing could happen for a lot of people who've already suffered at the hand of, uh, of this injustice, not the least of those, you know, which 
perished and, you know, some that committed suicide and whatnot. I mean, this was absolutely horrible. We've had guests on before who described their their experience in being locked up. And it, it just it, it's shocking to me that. A, that it happened here in the United States. But again, these things happen, right? Uh, whether it's a political event or not, there's always been people that were wrongfully imprisoned. And we hear those stories and they're always terrible. Uh, but what was interesting with this case, in my opinion, was that there were not only were people saying, hey, look, I didn't do anything wrong. But then there were people that were kind of demonizing these people saying, no, 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 you did something wrong by virtue of existing because you were there and because you supported the orange man bad and you were at the Capitol and therefore you must pay the highest price because we're going to come get you. Whether you're a New York City cop, we're coming to get you. If you're this, we're coming to get you. And I mean, they found every last person they wanted to find. And, you know, it, it amazes me when there's these smash and grab robberies and all these other things. They're like, oh, we can't find them. But, you know, when it was January 6th, masks, no masks, doesn't matter. They found every last person. And it just makes me think this aggressive posture that the government took, they were trying to send a message. And I think they did, which was don't do this again. And I don't mean breaking into the Capitol or whatever in the video that we saw. But, but moreover, don't challenge the system and don't have such a large rally in D.C. To me, seems like the message that was being sent. Your thoughts? Well, um, I, I, me personally, um, this, this was a, a, a total, you know, number one, an inside job. And the reason being for that inside job was to stop, uh, Donald J. Trump mm -hmm. from being on the ballot in 2024. And this government or the, the people that, you know, despise him, um, they used the American people as bait. They didn't care who they stepped on who they devastated, who they hurt, as long as it's going to keep that man off the ballot. And in my new book, uh, Due Process Denied, um, it's, it's called Due Process Denied, uh, The Detained, The Families, The Fallout. We describe with certain families in the book um, the devastation to them, um, what I call the collateral damage. And, and that lies within, you know, the families of these defendants. You have men sitting in jail who lost their jobs which means their wife is down in income. Some of these families have, you know, three, four, five kids. Um, they have lost health insurance at this point. What are these families to do? And I right. think it's a sick, sick thing. And more people in this country should really, you know, be talking about this. Um, the media should really be talking about this. The fallout and the collateral damage is to these families and the destruction that is left behind after this government went and rounded up all of these people. You know, we're over a thousand people that are caught up in this. Not yeah. all of them are in uh, jail or prison. You know, we have over 200 people that are behind bars and that number is only going to climb because I'll tell you with the release of these videos, Oh, they are going to ramp this up. We've had three or four new arrests just in the past couple of days. Wow. Um, it's really sick what is going on here. And who is going to stop this? We have an out-of-control government, an out-of-control DOJ, a very weaponized DOJ, and a very failed judicial system. Cynthia Hughes is our guest. She's the uh, founder of Patriot Freedom Project. PatriotFreedomProject.com is the website. Her book, Due Process Denied, The Detained, The Families, The Fallout. More on that and your calls straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. 
with an S. So the president believes we need to get to the bottom of what happened uh, on a very dark day in our democracy. The president has been very clear about that. We need to get to the bottom of what occurred. The footage that we have seen, the footage that the American people have seen, uh, is devastating. Uh, and what we saw was an attack on our Constitution, was an attack on our democracy. And we should be calling that out. And, you know, members of Congress, all members of Congress, should be working very hard to get to the bottom of that. Seems like they are working to get to the bottom of it, starting with uh, Speaker Kevin McCarthy releasing this video. And the footy, the footy, the footage that we have seen, uh, some of it which was doctored by an ABC News producer, a former ABC News producer, who produced all of the video packages for the January 6th hearing. That's what the American people were fed, but it wasn't necessarily the truth. We're continuing our conversation on January 6th with Cynthia Hughes. She's a founder of the Patriot Freedom Project, and she's the author of the book, Due Process Denied, The Detained, The Families, and The Fallout. Cynthia Hughes, let's uh, talk about what um, what you personally experienced with uh, some of these folks that have been imprisoned for political purposes, in, in my opinion, uh, and how they were denied their Sixth Amendment and other constitutional rights. We would need many, many hours, but I'll just touch the surface. Um, you know, I've connected with a ton of these families, and I, you know, I founded the Patriot Freedom Project. Um, you know, after my own my own family got caught up in this, and he spent, uh, um, well, maybe just quite, quite, not quite a year, but but close to it, in solitary confinement, in true solitary confinement. Now, let me just clarify. This is not a sentence, right? He wasn't sentenced to a year. He was awaiting trial? Yes, he was in pretrial detention. Right. So, you know, if he would have gotten six months, they would have said, all right, time served, and you gave us an extra six months on the arm. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and of course, he didn't get any time served. Um, He got credit towards a 48-month sentence on nonviolent charges. What were the charges? Um, so he was charged with an obstruction of an official proceeding, which is a felony charge. And it's a charge that was, um, you know, kind of put together when the whole Enron thing was happening. Um, this is a way for this government to get, you know, a lengthy jail sentence on people. Um, it's a way for this government to, you know, kind of bully people into, uh, a, a, you know, a plea agreement. Um, where they'll threaten you with, you know, five, six, seven years in prison. And sure. some people are falling for that because they're so fearful. My nephew, It's not uncommon. Was, the government has, has always kind of played that way. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of these, you know, men are not gonna, you know, they're not gonna, they're gonna fall on their sword. And that's what we're seeing. My nephew was found guilty, um, back in, um, April of 22, and he was sentenced the end of uh, September of 22, and he was moved out of the D.C. Gulag, thank God, the end of October, and he's now serving his prison sentence in New Jersey uh, at a prison called Fort Dix. Yeah, Fort Dix. It used to be an Army base. It might still be an Army base. I'm not sure. It is. Part of it is still an Army base, and here's the irony in that, in the fact that he was you know, brought here to serve his time at Fort Dix. Um, at the time of January 6th, he um, he was a 12-year uh, Army reservist, 
And when he went to the Capitol, he had a suit and tie on. He did not commit violence. He did not break anything. He did not assault anybody. He did go inside. He found a Trump flag on the ground. He skipped around in the in the uh, what's called the crypt, which is basically the basement of the Capitol um, for 30 minutes. He was told to leave. So he left. And for that, they said he obstructed Congress and he should spend, you know, close to five years in prison. No wow. criminal history. No criminal history. Um, you know what I find, you know, really most disheartening? The character of some people, maybe some people have a bombastic, you know, sense of humor, like my nephew. Maybe some people have, you know, some kind of quirkiness to them. And But it was private. Maybe they had some insensitive pictures on their phone. Um, this is all out in the public now. These people are going to be, you know, decimated forever um, because some people are not going to forget what might have been released, uh, you know, to the public. You know, maybe somebody had an offensive picture like my nephew did or they had, you know, some really, you know, crappy memes like my nephew did. Things that lived in people's laptops, people's cell phones for their eyes only. When some of these men come out of prison, they're going to come out and they're still going to be facing, you know, a jail term, if you will, in, in a lot of ways. Because some people, you know, they're not going to forget. There is a crazy lunatic in this country right now who has dedicated his life to tormenting the families of these men. Cynthia Hughes, hold on right there. I hate to cut you off, but we've got to take a quick pause. We're going to come back to this crazy lunatic and we'll discuss more about the Patriot Freedom Project and your book. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, folks, our guest is Cynthia Hughes. Uh, She is the author of Due Process Denied, The Detained, The Families, The Fallout. Cynthia Hughes, final word to you. Um, You know, I I was telling you that there's a crazy guy in this country who sends postcards to the wives, and he taunts them about their husband. And, I mean, they get these postcards every single week. There are some very sick people in this country. But I don't want to waste my time about him. Um, you know, I encourage everybody to go to uh, one of our websites, dueprocessdenied.org, where you can learn more about our book, uh, Due Process Denied, the Detain the Families, the Fallout. And we also have a docuseries coming out. Um, part one is going to be released actually tomorrow. And if you visit our website, you'll be able to see uh, the first part in our docuseries for free. And I really encourage your listeners to come on there and see the terrible, terrible heartbreak and hardships on these families. Outstanding work you're doing. Keep up the good work, Cynthia Hughes. Folks, check it out at dueprocessdenied.org. Get that uh, snippet of the docuseries. Get a copy or two of the book. Give one to somebody who who enjoys reading and 
let them learn something because this stuff is eye-opening. Cynthia Hughes, I just want to thank you again for the work you're doing and for being on with us tonight. Thank you so much. You bet. All right, folks, more to come straight ahead. We're going to talk about family secrets. What are people hiding? And we're going to do that on Open Phone America. So if you've got some family secrets you know about or want to share, now's the time. 833, the number four, Valdez is the phone number. 833-482-5337. Open Phone America starts right now. From the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez. America's favorite late night talk program. Featuring interesting guests from around the world. And calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Hour number three. Hi there. Good evening. And what's up, America? It's Open Phone America. I'm looking forward to speaking with you guys. I want to talk about family secrets tonight. And there's a lot of news out there. There's a teacher of the year that's been accused of sexual misconduct. We're going to get into that. We're also going to talk about what uh, the Shark Tank shark Kevin O'Leary said about AOC. That happened over the weekend. i just been meaning to get to it and uh, comment on it. We're going to get to that as well. She's also getting sued, by the way, all out crazy. And uh, there's a bunch of other stories here that I want to get to. There's a parents that have rented a billboard to raise awareness of something that people really don't focus on too much. And this was on Good Morning America today. And this actually hits close to home for me. So I'm going to share that with you in a moment. But first, I want to talk about these family secrets, because I think these family secrets are fascinating, right? This is a great topic, as long as you guys are playing along. If you guys aren't playing along, that doesn't really count so much. You know, I can't change your voice on the air, but you could change your your city and, um, Say that you're listening online if you like, if you want to obscure your identity. Uh, But I'm really curious to know about some of the family secrets that you all are harboring. And we're going to get to your calls in a moment. Uh, Open up those phone lines, 833, the number 4 Valdez, 833-482-5337. And what I want to um, highlight is is an article that came out in BuzzFeed uh, with 24 shockingly scandalous family secrets that are so messed up they might make you feel better about your own family. And um, one of them is is an interesting one. It says, my grandpa has been a Baptist preacher for 70 years, but he wasn't always so innocent. Growing up in the holler of Kentucky, there wasn't much to do. When he was around 13 years old, he was drunk with a friend and went out in the woods with a shotgun. He wound up shooting and killing his brother. I found out after doing some work on a family tree And it turns out not many in the family actually know about grandpa before he turned to religion. Wow. That was submitted anonymously. Uh, Here's another one. My first cousin and my second cousin started dating, had a kid and got married in a state where it was legal. They're suggesting it might be Montana. I'm suggesting it might be West Virginia. And they did genetic testing to make sure the kid wasn't going to have physical abnormalities. So uh, I'm interested in knowing um, what are some of your family secrets, maybe not yours or some that you've heard 
uh, about children um, that, you know, maybe somebody else's or no matter how scandalous, I'm interested in hearing them because I think this is just uh, one of those topics that's always very interesting. And I'll continue to do the countdown on this BuzzFeed article. But uh, let us go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ. 833, the number four, my last name, V-A-L-D-E-S. Give us a call. Let's go to Jeff in Lansing, Michigan, W-I-L-S. Jeff, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hey, thanks for taking my call, Rich. That would be uh, Valdez with an S, by the way. Yes, sir. If I'm not mistaken. <laughs> you bet. <laughs> um, I, I, I could actually write a book on this, but actually this may sound like I'm looking for sympathy, and, and, and I'm not, trust me. Uh, but uh, my my mother and I didn't have a, a very good relationship, and and she was a devout leftist, and and um, I'm completely the exact opposite. And, and and I I used to joke and tell friends and other family members, whatever. I said I'm an only child, <laughs> and, and my old mother hates me so much. She's going to write me out of her will. Well, it turns out the day she died, a family member showed up. Uh, in the emergency room, and it turns out my mother actually did write me out of her will, and it all had to do that, that she didn't agree with my political beliefs. Wow, that is crazy. Now, did she warn you of this, or is it just something you surmised? <laughs> no, no. I had, I, I, like I said, for years, I used to say my own mother hates me so much that, that, that she's going to write me out of the will. But you and said it tongue-in-cheek kind of jokingly. Yeah, well, you know, I, I have a comedic past. You know, I was like, you know, you, you just sense things like that. And and uh, uh, it was actually six weeks before she died, she uh, uh, got together with another family member and, and did it and wrote me out of the will. And it's like, you think? You should be surprised. I wasn't surprised a bit. That is a shame, Jeff. You know, it doesn't surprise me, but it's definitely disappointing to say the least that that actually happened to you. And uh, I'm sorry. Sorry you went through that. But it's it's fascinating that that type of divide continues in families. And I know there's a lot more deep, dark family secrets out there, and we're going to continue to get to those momentarily. Jeff, I want to thank you for calling us from Lansing, Michigan on WILS. Thanks for tuning in. And a big shout out to everybody in the area. Uh, let us continue uh, with uh, Don, San Francisco, California, listening online. And remember, if you're listening online, you can always listen on com. That website has a listen live button. You could listen live and you get all the archives there as well. Don, welcome to the program. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead, sir. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> I was just uh, curious, uh, what was the... Uh analysis of uh, my wife and her brother uh, had a, a sexual relationship when they were kids and uh, and it was uh, from the, the, the start losing you had a child. say it again Donna I didn't hear you <clears throat> she was raped and had a child out of wedlock and everything and but she, oh wow her her so they didn't have a sexual relationship she was raped well she had, she had a sexual relationship with her brother and she was also raped at 15 oh. and had a child. Oh my God! And give it up and give it up for adoption, and uh, and then 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 had a reconciliation uh, 47 years later, and, and now they're they're friends again and, and family. 
I'm her and curious. the brother. Her and her son. She she gave her. Oh, her and her son. That's who she reconciled she with. Yeah, and then but her and her brother had a, a, a relationship as children, but they're still close now. But we're all old, you know, and, and some of that stuff going on. But I mean, they're just still real close. But I, I've never. Uh, I mean, I've never uh, witnessed that, and I didn't really hold it against them. But I just. I just never had any uh, way uh, to, to uh, convey that to anyone until this moment. So, <laughs> wow! So it's like uh, you you're lifting a, a ton of bricks off your chest. Yeah, you know, I, I don't hold it against them in her in her family. And I don't I don't really hold anything against them. It's just it was just a strange uh, phenomenon sure. to me. Absolutely. I mean, it's not, you don't hear that story every day, Don. And I can imagine, you know, it's not something you're going to go out and drink with the guys and say, Hey, by the way, you know, you're not going to bring it up uh, because you know, sir, you don't air your dirty laundry. Uh, but that, that is um, quite the story. And I think you're, you're a good guy for, you know, dealing with that. I'm sure it's not easy for her and it's not even easy for you. I'm sure. No. How have you, has it put a strain on your relationship through the years or uh, have you felt just you need to be more supportive given the, the, the difficult past? Well, I, I just, I've just kind of really kind of put it on the, on the back of my, in the back of my mind because it's just such a heavy, uh, right. Heavy, heavy thing. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say anything, uh, derogative or, or be, uh, uh, rude or, or a, a hateful or anything. It's just, it's just something that would, would be a, a hell of a argument uh, if, if the case would arise and I, I had a, a, a reason to argue over, I always thought, well, I can go out and, and have an affair. And why, why would she care? You know, cause I mean, she's still having an affair with her brother on, on the, on, on the weekly basis. And they're, they're always so close. But but it's it, it's not a, a sexual relationship. But they're just so close. I'm just I guess I'm jealous a little bit. You know I don't know. Right. <clears throat> I can imagine that's a that's a difficult situation to be in. You know we had a guest on a while back who was um, an advocate uh, for this topic, what they called um, SSA, sibling sexual assault or sibling sexual abuse, and it's a type of incest. Uh, that occurs in siblings. And the woman that we had on several months ago, she, um, she explained that she had a sexual relationship with her brother and, you know, she didn't think it was wrong until she got a little older and realized, wow, that's wrong. I shouldn't have been doing that. And then it stopped. And she, like your, your wife, she also gets along well with her brother today. I don't know if they're very, very close, but I know that she's forgiven him and they've moved on. And now she dedicates herself to talking about this issue of sibling sexual abuse, uh, which is, you know, part of incest, but a part of incest that I think a lot of people don't really pay attention to. And according to her, what, what got me interested in bringing her on the show was she said that this is an epidemic in our country. And when I heard the word epidemic, I said, you mean that this is happening like a lot? And she said, way more than anybody thinks it's an actual epidemic in our country. And I thought, oh my goodness, I had no idea. I would have thought these are very few and far between cases. But it turns out, Don, that um, sibling sexual abuse is way more common than any of us realize. Yeah, I feel less isolated since you told me that. 
Because I thought I was uh, the only I'm, one, just like you used to think you're the only one that dreamed when you were little. Right. So I'm the only one that dreamed. So that, <laughs> right, that's, yeah. You know, that, gosh, thank you. Well, I'm I'm really glad that you you feel a little bit better, and I'm really glad that you trusted us enough to share the story because those are the types of stories that I'm I was hoping to hear. Not you know your particular story, but you know a very interesting type of thing that was very genuine. Where um, I think, man, you know, a lot of us think that everything's uh, all cracked up to be great, and uh, there's a lot of families keeping a lot of secrets and a lot of skeletons and a lot of closets. Don, God bless you. Thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Call back often if you can. And we're going to get to the rest of your calls straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. 833, the number four, Valdez, 833-482-5337. I'm Rich Valdez. We're coming right back. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDES. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S at the end. And our phone number is 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. If you want to join this conversation of confessions on family secrets and, um, we, uh, I want to just read another story quickly from the BuzzFeed article, um, which is this one. Long story short, my uncle and my cousin, both from the same side of the family, so uncle and niece, were messing around and she ended up pregnant. To this day, the story is that her high school boyfriend got her pregnant, then left to New Mexico. Now they both have their own separate families and her son doesn't know his real dad is at every family function that was submitted anonymously. And, uh, that's, I think that's more common than people think. And, uh, it's, it's just eye opening. And that's why I wanted to talk about this because I think a lot of people feel like they're alone in this crazy and there's a lot of crazy out there in many different shapes and forms. Uh, let's go to your calls. Let's go to uh, Colchester, Vermont, WVMT. Let's check in with Lori. Hey, Lori, you're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Go right ahead. Thank you, Rich. It's nice to talk. And I, I decided to call Likewise. in when Don called in hearing his story. I am, sure. in fact, a, uh, a survivor of uh, sexual incest, sexual abuse between siblings, and two of his friends. Now, catch how sick this is in a family system. So in my 20s, I decided to, well, I got him to stop finally saying, what happens if I become pregnant? Oh, let me just ask, when did this start? It started when I was eight. Wow. Okay. So like prepubescent. Correct. And then when I hit puberty, I said, you know, what are you guys going to do when I be, if, if I become pregnant, the secret's going to be out. Man, it's and, and by this point, it's it's a sibling and his friends. And his friends. So, you know, it was like a gang situation. You know, you know a gang of guys. I'm sorry. Um, three of them. And so, yeah, we were smart enough to say, you know, what if I become pregnant? How are you guys mm -hmm. going to explain this? Because then the secret's out. Because they made all these threats. 
will kill you. And they used to, like, beat on me, too. So I was frightened. And I was smart enough to figure out how to get them to stop when that happened. So in my 20s, I decided to tell my mother, and my whole family was unhealthy. Uh, you know, a lot of substance abuse, a lot. I received a lot of neglect, substance abuse by a parent, received a lot of neglect and physical abuse in the family. I was sort of like the black sheep. And so anyways, I decided to tell my mother the secret. Mm. And I get courage up. I had seen a shrink. I go back. You know, it's like I got to deal with this. I had so much anger, so much rage. And as a result, I had difficulties in every form of relationships, whether it was employment or interpersonal with friends. Sure. Couldn't keep close friends. And even in intimacy, intimate relationships had difficulties. So I decided that to go to a shrink. Sense. Yep, and the shrink said, you know, are you ready to confront people on this? And I said, yes. So I go to my mother first and catch this. This, I mean, I can laugh about it now. Couldn't back then. She took the side of my brother. Wow. And said, well, that happens between kids. And I said, no, it's called incest. Don't say that word. <laughs> right. And it blew my mind that that was, I'm in my 60s, but that was the perception. And she said, don't ever tell anyone. And so, you know, my brother and I were semi-close, but we, were, we sort of went in different groups and stuff. Well, lo and behold, I decide, what the heck? I'm going to let the secret out. Do you know, out of my family, one sibling, I have five siblings, speaks to me now. Wow. They Somehow it became your fault. Yeah. It, no, I don't want to talk about it. That didn't happen. I don't want to talk about it. If you bring it up, the conversation's over. Yeah, that's how I, I they bet, dealt with it. That's a very common response in a lot of families because it's easier to deny it and to say, hey, listen, don't say another word. Uh, than to actually address the fact that you have a family member that's a rapist. And that's what I said, you know. They raped me. You know, this was not by choice. For years this happened. And, oh, no, you know, don't talk about it. And like I said, when I, you know, took the time to tell each sibling, you know, literally, they took, the abusers, you know, the perpetrators side. And they Did you ever go to the authorities? Uh, I never went to the authorities. You know, it's been many, many years. And actually, just recently, I was talking with my husband about it and said, I think for me to have the ability to be healthier emotionally, I need to, you know, bring it to someone to see what can be done to have some closure on it. Yep, I agree. You definitely need closure. Lori, stay on the line. we got to hit a break right here, but we'll come right back to you. Folks, it's Valdez. It's America at Night, and we're talking about family secrets. We'll be right back.
833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. All right, America, welcome back. It's Rich Valdez, and there's a number of stories I want to talk to you about tonight, uh, but we're, uh, we have a topic of family secrets. They could be funny, they could be scary, they could be a little bit emotional. i um, interested in hearing all of them, but the cartel said they were sorry. They left a note saying, uh, hey, look, we're sorry. This was not the way the cartel does business, and um, that I thought that was kind of odd, but that actually happened. That's according to ABC News. Uh, there's a Russian submarine off the coast of the United States, and... People are concerned as to why it's there. The FBI has admitted to buying data on your location, your cell phone location, uh, as part of a project that they were involved in, what they called a pilot project. And an 81-year-old survived on croissants and candy as they were stuck in a snowstorm inside of their car. We'll get to that one in a little bit as well. And if not, I will put it out on social media at Rich Valdez with an S at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. And we'll continue um, our conversation here. Now, the article I was referring to before, let me just bring that up over here, was uh, uh, 24 shocking stories on family secrets. And before I go to the next story, I wanted to wrap up with Lori, who had shared uh, her story with us. And Lori, uh, so ultimately, you said you felt uh, some it was therapeutic and cathartic to to share your story. Uh, go ahead and finish your thought. Well, I just wanted to let people know that victims of this um, situation, whether it's incest or rape, they really, really don't need to be alone if they can reach out to someone they trust, be it a counselor, um, a school teacher for children, um, uh, you know, if you have a religious connection to whatever religion you may follow, and there's, excuse me, someone in the church you can reach out to, it's really, really important not to be alone in it. Yep. And I, I thank you for your courage. I wish you the best. Godspeed. God bless. I know it, it's not easy, but it definitely wasn't your fault. And and uh, keep on keeping on. Thank you, Lori, for your call. Uh, we're going to continue. And I just wanted to, uh, let me see if I could find it quickly. I don't think I can. Let me see here. <clears throat> Maybe it's right here. There was a guest that we had on uh, on this program who had a great website. Uh, I just, I'm not seeing the website. Uh, that's a shame. I'll look for it during the break, and I will get it out to you. But uh, it's a website specifically for that, for sibling sexual abuse, and uh, she specializes in helping people connect with resources with respect to that. But I want to continue your calls, and I wanted to just share one more of these stories here with you. Uh, this one, uh, number six, it says, I found out through um, one of those genealogical research DNA tests that my mom's sister they're calling her Jane Doe here, was actually her mother. And uh, Jane Doe was 18 when she had an affair with a married 40-year-old man back in 1940. She gave the child to her own parents to raise and went to her grave letting her mom believe that she was just the eldest sister, saying that her mom is 82 years old now in bad health and all the people involved besides her are long dead. So there's no point in telling her. 
What makes it so awful is that when my mom was about five, Jane married the man who got her pregnant after he left his wife. Then he battered Jane severely for decades before she finally left him. Mom witnessed a lot of the fights, and she still hates who she thinks is her brother-in-law, but is actually her father. To this day, it's a mess, and I'm so angry at Jane and my great-grandparents, who I grew up calling my grandparents, for keeping this horrible secret. I don't know why I had to stumble onto it. It's just awful, especially because Jane took her own life when I was a child. And mom has wondered ever since why. Wow, that sucks. I'm sorry to hear that. Let's go to Linda in Kalispell, Montana, KOFI. Linda, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. Really great to talk to you. Likewise. That story is, that story is just heartbreaking. Um, in, in my family, uh, there was sexual abuse, but uh, I have such a poor memory, I don't remember probably 98% of it. Uh, my main concern with the big secret in my family is mental illness. Mm. And I, I don't know why there has to be such a big stigma, why people are so ashamed. I mean, uh, mental illness comes in all shapes and forms. People have anxiety, depression, uh, you know, there's all kinds of problems. And um, my father had bipolar disorder which I never knew a thing about it. I never heard about it. I was married and moved away from home. And uh, I found out that he was, uh, he, I guess he had to tell me that he was in the hospital. I think he had a nervous breakdown. But it, it might have been major depression, and maybe he was suicidal. I don't know. Nobody told me. Right. And also, I think people, but, uh, overall, the society, we weren't as sophisticated as we are now with understanding mental health. So, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand, Linda. Right. And it's a shame, though, because, I mean, sure. at my age, uh, my father had three children and his sister had five children. And then all of our children, even to this day, I can't get any answers. Nobody will tell me anything, but it's still a big secret. If somebody yeah. has depression or has been hospitalized or suicidal, Nobody will talk about it. And you know, I, I think it's really tragic because mm -hmm. my oldest son died by suicide. And I um, really feel like if I had known, I would have been more aware, obviously. I would have been more aware and uh, uh, and alarmed to know his uh, when he was having problems. But I, I didn't know. So I didn't worry about it. Yeah, well... Um my condolences. I'm really sorry to hear that. And, you know, from my experience, I worked uh, in in the state adoption agency for a few months when I worked in government. And I can tell you that that was the biggest reason that people that had been adopted who were once ward of the state and had gone through the adoption process were trying to find their their birth parents was not for closure. It was not to, I want to know who they are, why they got rid of me. It, none of that was the mm -hmm. number one reason. The number one reason was I want to know what their medical history is so I can figure myself yeah. out and treat myself uh, if I have something that, yeah. you know, may be hereditary. Sure. And, uh, you know, I think sure, most I mean, people uh, don't think uh, of that. No, it could be heart disease. It could be cancer. It could be any right. number of things that, it's it's not fair to keep that away from the family members. 
There should be 100%. no shame in any kind of illness. It's really sad. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. And again, my condolences to you. I'm sorry you went through all of that. And I appreciate the call from Callis Bell, Montana on KOFI. Thank you so much, Linda. We will continue with your calls and more straight ahead. 833-4-VALDEZ is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. We're talking about all the headlines I just shared with you, family secrets and more here on America at Night. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Best head of hair in live late night radio six years in a row. It's Rich Valdez. All right, America. Yes, it's true. I have wonderful hair, and uh, we're taking your calls on the topics that we've discussed. 8334 Valdez, 8334 Valdez. And I wanted to um, uh, talk about this, uh, this next story here. And um, where'd it go? We talked about the cartels. We talked about Mitch McConnell being hospitalized with a concussion. Um, Sorry to hear that. I I don't want Mitch McConnell to have a concussion. I would like him to retire from the Senate, but I don't want him to be uh, harmed in any way. I wish him the best. My thoughts and prayers are with him and his family. And, um, and, um, yeah, I'll leave it there. You know, I can't say too much beyond that. And I wanted to also go back to this BuzzFeed piece. Let's see where I was. Where was I? Stand by, folks. My aunt is married to a pedophile. This is not me. This is uh, an anonymous person on BuzzFeed. My aunt is married to a pedophile. Her husband dated my step-cousin while I was in high school. She was 14. My aunt and her husband lost their house because of lawyer fees and to keep him off the registry. I don't know how that was even possible. He was also inappropriate with me as a teenager, like touching my butt and waist and offering me alcohol. My dumb young self didn't know any better and thought that's how things were in families. I was wrong. Now I don't go around family if he's there because I have a daughter to protect. Another aunt, her husband has a whole other family in El Salvador that no one will tell my young cousin about because it'll break her heart and destroy her relationship with her dad and the family. Wow, so the family secrets abound here with the pedophile that they seem to be protecting, losing their house to protect the pedophile. I can tell you this. Um, I can be compassionate. I can. I can understand mental illness. I can understand people that are not well. And, and I can be forgiving. But if I'm married to someone who's doing these things, I can almost guarantee to you that I'm not going to lose the house and jeopardize the rest of the family to save the person that is afflicted and uh, violating the law. Just not going to do it. That's just my thought. Uh, I'll put that out there for you all. Let us go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ. Robert in Charleston, South Carolina, WTMA. Go right ahead, sir. You're on with Rich Valdez. Welcome. Thank you, sir. I just want to say that um, I know about a lot of secrets, but the most interesting one is uh, my father and my mother, they were having um, problems with his parent, his his mother, and, and because she didn't want to give him up, essentially, she wanted him to live in the city and just visit my mom on the weekends. And um, and, and and my mom knew that she would eventually break up the marriage. At least she tried to, because she really didn't want another woman in there. So in any in any case, my father's job. They came up to 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 our both sides of my family had a house in a village 
50 miles outside of New York City on a beautiful lake. And um, they, my, my, before, occasionally, maybe every couple of months or so, my father would change the t- move the tires around on my grandparents' car, right rear to left rear, left rear to right front to left rear. And um, You're talking like uh, tire rotation? Exactly. And mm-hmm. uh, my father was a, a, a design engineer. He was very good in structural engineering. He was trained at New York University, and his specialty was stress and strains and materials. And uh, he was like world class in this kind of stuff. In any case, um, what what happened was one day my I'm, 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 so he would drive his Porsche into the city after my grandparents left in their Cadillac. So what happened was, on top of a, a mount, there's a, there's a mountain between New York City and where we lived. And it has a, a, a sharp curve and then a cliff on the right-hand side. In those days, there weren't any boulders there. There are boulders there now, so you can't ride over the cliff. But in those days, there weren't. And um, what happened was the tires were put on in such a way that all four of them came off at the same time at that, ter- that very sharp curve just as you approached the the um, cliff. And my grandfather, who was a very powerful man, uh, uh, succeeded in preventing the car from going over the edge. It was pretty badly scraped up, but it didn't go over the edge. And when my, when my grandmother and my grandfather got to the next village, which, um, which had a train station and, and a telephone booth, my grandmother went into the telephone booth, called my mother up and said, your husband tried to kill us. Now, she didn't say my wow. son or say his name. She said, your husband tried to kill us. In other words, she was insinuating that he was involved and that he masterminded this. Or that she masterminded this, actually. He did the, he was the guy who did the job, and she was the one who masterminded it. That's what she was insinuating. She was a very, very clever manipulator, and my father was also a kind of manipulator, too. But my grandmother had him wrapped around her little finger. She was his, she, as a matter of fact, when he was a child, she, she bought him a lot of little planes to, to assemble because he was very interested in engineering. So the little planes were made out of wood. And she put them in a little room with plenty of glue so that, in, in, in effect, he would be sniffing the glue because it wasn't ventilated. And that, that's how she kept him under control. According, wow. According, my, my, so so it, my, my mom was, is, is half Roman and half Italian-Swiss, and my grandmother is half Sephardic Jewish, half Ashkenazi Jew, and my grandfather is, is, is Ashkenazi Jew. So, so, so it's a very, very clever and, uh, and, and smart family. And, and that's – oh, my grandmother, by the way, was going to move out to California. And my, and, I mean, my mom, mom was going to move out to California to get it. My husband. Yeah, well, we can't get into that part of the story because we're up against the clock, Robert. But I thank you for the call fascinating story and we're going to continue with your calls and more straight ahead don't go anywhere it's rich valdez we'll be right back this is america at night with rich valdez I want to listen to you, Rich, all the time. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. We continue with our conversation tonight. Let's go to Jane in Saratoga, New York, WMHH. Go right ahead, Jane. You're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. How are you? Uh, Oh, I'm so sorry I didn't uh, get home earlier. Uh, This situation with the incest, uh, I was an abuse counselor for over 30 years, and I specialized in incest. Um, The main thing people have to realize, whatever is happening has probably been happening for generations. 
and um, goes from fathers to grandfathers to daughters. And um, set, the smartest thing sometimes, like the lady, I was in Vermont. I was part of child protection team up there. Um, smartest thing sometimes to do is talk to your pediatrician. Get, a, get an appointment with your pediatrician and confide in them and get them to help you with child protection team. Sometimes when you go to the state, it gets much too complicated. And um, the team I worked with, we used to go into people's homes and work with the entire family, which is ideally what we need to start doing. And I'm honestly thinking of going back into the field just to do that and help people with these struggles and... um, to not live in well, that, shame. That's a good thing. I mean, not to interrupt, but it, it's a, it's a, it's important work. Clearly, in, in an hour that we've been talking about this, there's plenty of people out there that have um, these types of concerns and and stories and confessions that they want to share. And uh, I appreciate your call, Jane. I just wanted to plug something. Uh, complicatedcourage.com. Complicatedcourage.com is the website for the uh, woman that we had on earlier who could connect people with resources if they're facing this type of thing. And uh, I also want to check in quickly with Jim in Danbury, Connecticut on WLAD. Jim, go right ahead. You're on with Rich Valdez. Hey there, Rich. Uh, Good evening to you. Kind of a a late night type situation going on. I I have a thought in mind here. Now I've, I have a, um, I have a brother, God, God love him. I have a brother that uh, has shown some, uh, I don't know if the word pedophilistic, <laughs> makes any sense, but if it's not a word, it should be uh, some pedophilistic tendencies, if you will. Um, yeah. And uh, and I've tried to really kind of put my head around it a little bit. There, um, I am uh, I'm 53 years old at this point in time, um, and part of my uh, my career is a uh, disc jockey and karaoke DJ, and you know that whole out in the bars and nightclubs and around people significantly younger than me without question way younger than me um and i see these people on a regular basis not, it's not so much that i i this by any stretch will certainly not be uh, giving him the pass on on those feelings but i understand the feeling of about being around somebody younger to make well, being 53 feel, and seeing a girl that's 29 and thinking she's hot is not necessarily pedophile. I mean, you're talking about pedophiles are attracted to, to children. Obviously, yes, I'm, I'm out in the bars. These are all legal people. But I do understand that, that feeling of somebody, uh, it's almost like they're erasing your mortality. Now, now don't get me wrong, I, yes. When it comes down to a situation, there's, there's only where, about forty seconds left, Jim. What uh, have yeah. you taken any action? Um, we we've talked. I've tried to work with him a little bit over the years, um, and he's uh, he's been gotten better about it. But I can't. I I don't know where it's truly going. I'd love to explore this more. Feel free to give us a call back, Jim. I appreciate your call from WLAD, and um, it, it was an interesting conversation to say the least. Thanks again. Hasta la próxima. Until the next time, take care, good night, and God bless. I am Rich Valdez. This is America at Night, and we're doing it all again tomorrow.
The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market. Rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.